Hello, and welcome to Off to Great Places. My name is Alejandro Landano, and this is a podcast where I host people at the beginning of new and interesting journeys, primarily in their careers. I interview them for stories about how they got to where they are today, and any advice they may have for others on similar paths. Our guest today is Hannah Goodman. Hannah has a degree in computer science from Texas A&M University, where she also minored in astrophysics and cybersecurity. Her interests have driven her to explore a diversity of fields, giving her the opportunity to work at a startup, in the aerospace industry, and on genomics projects. She currently works as a software engineer at the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory. I greatly enjoyed the conversation I had with Hannah today, and I hope you will as well. Hello, Hannah Gooden. Welcome to the podcast. (laughs) Hello, Alejandro. (laughs) Episode one. Welcome. So the idea is that this podcast is just going to be a conversation with, you know, young professionals or young people sort of at the beginning of journeys, maybe not, not even young people, just people at the beginning of new journeys in their life uh, with a focus on professional journeys, but yeah, open to anything. Um, <laughs> with Yeah, that's great. I'm honored yeah. to be here. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Uh, yeah, so uh, I kind of just want to like explore how, where you are at now, where you came from and how you got there uh, across space and time. Uh, so <laughs> would you mind uh, like introducing yourself, where you're from, uh, where do you work, and what do you do for work? Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Hannah, Hannah Gooden. Um, I am originally from Fort Worth, Texas. Um, for my DFW people who are listening, uh, Colleyville specifically. Um, and I went to a private high school. Um, and then jumped over to Texas A&M University when I graduated. Um, so while I was there, I majored in computer science, um, and then I got minors in astrophysics and cybersecurity. Um, so I graduated in 2020. It is now 2022. Uh, and uh, whenever I graduated, I got a job at the Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Lab as a software engineer. Um, and I've been doing this really cool, like, rotational program where, um, so the Johns Hopkins University Applied Physics Lab, APL for short, has, like, 8,000 employees, and we do a lot of different things. And so this rotational program kind of allows me to move around the lab and figure out where I best fit before I kind of settle into a career path. So it's been really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, definitely a lot of interesting things to explore there. Want to definitely talk about some of the different areas that you've gone to work in at APL. Uh, mm-hmm. But I guess as we like explore the format for the podcast, it might change. But uh, why don't we like start closer to the beginning for now and kind of just like explore sort of pre-college um kind of what started you on in the direction that you're in now uh so like when you were in college you studied computer science uh Mm -hmm. sort of a stem field what kind of things were you interested in high school what kind of uh influences did you have that pushed you in the direction of computer science Yeah, so that's a really interesting question. And I think one thing I'll say is that when I was in high school, I didn't know I wanted to do computer science specifically. Um, I knew I wanted to go into a STEM field. Um, And I think some of the experiences I had in college helped me figure out that computer science was like where in STEM I wanted to be. But when I was in high school, I was really just thinking like, I want to be in STEM somewhere. And there are a lot of different areas of like, scientific research that interests me. I think math is really cool. Um, And so um, those were sort of like things that I was thinking. 
Um, but I will say that I went to a private high school and I didn't really get like a rigorous sort of STEM education while I was there. Um, so I had to kind of look for that myself. Um, my high school had a really big emphasis on liberal arts. Um, it was a Christian high school, so they wanted us to be really good at speaking, at kind of persuading others to, um, to our viewpoints. So when it came, so we did a lot of like reading literature and doing a lot of critical thinking about kind of how we felt about things in the, in the books we read and like the philosophy, philosophical texts we read and stuff. Um, and there wasn't as much an emphasis on like math and science there. Um, the kind of pockets of really good math classes and really good science classes were very like dependent on the teacher, you know, so there were good teachers and there were, but there were some, some, classes that did not prepare me for college at all. <laughs> um, and so when I was in high school, I kind of, I knew I wanted to do STEM and um, I had to look for those opportunities myself. Really. Um, and I know one thing that I did that I, I really, really enjoyed and that showed me that like STEM really was for me was I joined a um, after school program um, with Johnson Space Center. Um, it was called High School Aerospace Scholars. And, um, basically I, it added like five hours of work to my week every week. Um, but I was working on this, like, these like really cool problems that NASA engineers, like, imagine high school, like, they, they, like, NASA engineers basically designed interesting engineering problems that were kind of high school level for us to try to solve. And, um, that was something that I actively tried to do to try to figure out if STEM really was for me, that, that my school didn't really provide for me. So. Yeah, that's really cool. Johnson Space Center, is that the one in Florida or is that the one in Houston? That's the one in Houston. That's one. Yeah. What's the one in Florida called? Uh, Kennedy Space Center. I, so Johnson yeah. Space Center is more for like um, the human aspect of of space travel so they're like the number like they're like the main center where iss um training happens and like they have mission control um whereas kennedy is more where rockets get launched from <laughs> right yeah Not as much research going on there <laughs> yeah that's cool you had that opportunity you yeah. you talk about how you kind of had to pursue this yourself and that uh your high school had sort of more emphasis on a liberal arts education, not so much on STEM mm -hmm. is like the reason that you kind of went out of your way to look for those STEM opportunities, something that do you think that that comes from just like your personal interests, like a personal drive, or did you have some kind of influence outside influence that led you in that direction? Did you have like maybe like a really good teacher or someone in your life that kind of pushed you in that direction, especially as we think about like, uh today there's a lot of uh kind of campaigns for women in stem and things like that and mm -hmm. uh you are you are a woman in stem and <laughs> i'm a woman in stem <laughs> <laughs> especially if you know the the high school you're going to didn't have kind of a lot of push towards that kind of what what uh pushed you towards it uh and like maybe it was just kind of something that you had on your own or anything, but kind of want to just explore that idea and that question. Yeah. So I will say I, I had some great mentors in high school, but I think that most of it was self-driven. Um, like I don't really, when I look back on those years, I don't really think there is any one single like person who said like Hannah, you should do this like aerospace thing. Um, I always had kind of this like natural curiosity about the world and the classes that I liked the most in school were the math and science ones. And so I kind of always kind of knew that like when it came to a career, like those would be the topics that interested me more. And um, I was really interested in like NASA specifically and the kinds of problems they solve. Um, I think space travel is just really cool and um, 
learning about like stars and planets and the moon like I always thought those things were really cool and so I sought that out myself I looked for opportunities to get involved with that like, I, when I was in high school I had this dream of like, that's what, like all the little kids do <laughs> yeah definitely. Um, <laughs> um and I also think one thing I should mention is that I think so I was always a high achieving student as well and I think when like it's really easy to like let that become your identity when you're in high school like oh I I'm a straight A student like that's my identity in school and it's really easy to like define your own successes or define your like value or your success in high school by your grades and I think I fell prey to that a lot and so part of it if I would be I would I think it's important to mention that part of it was like a desire to continue achieving even outside of the classroom. Yeah. So kind of in the sense of uh, trying to find, like it's easy to get caught into that uh, cycle of academic validation and mm -hmm. sort of maybe trying to find your own path outside of academics itself and kind of yeah. figure out kind of what your interest is in in the real world not just within the confines of school yeah because like i think a, a really great quote that one of my professors had in college is that like school doesn't necessarily teach you like concepts and stuff it teaches you how to take tests it teaches you how to make a's and so there is value in seeking out those opportunities where you're not being graded on a numeric scale you know yeah definitely yeah, I mean, that's a criticism you hear a lot about kind of the, <laughs> the education system and standardized testing and things like that. So yeah, that's definitely yeah. good, good advice and really cool that you kind of went out of your way to find that early on as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, so you mentioned that when you were kind of uh, graduating high school, going to university, you didn't necessarily, you knew you wanted to do STEM, right? But you didn't necessarily mm -hmm. have a given major in mind. Mm -hmm. What was the process of figuring out your major like did you have multiple majors in mind and then how did you figure out your how did you end up at computer science did you change majors did you what was that like yeah so um when i was in high school um i kind of settled on engineering in general because i kind of like I, I, I'd taken a lot of time to think about like what I wanted to do, and I kind of settled on this like desire for my like what I did with my life to be directly applicable. I guess you could say like I wanted to be able to see how things that I did impacted the world immediately. I don't know. Um, maybe maybe it makes sense to kind of set a contrast here like I was trying to say like do I want to work in math do I want to work in science like there are a bunch of things in STEM STEM there's science technology engineering and math right and I kind of settled on engineering because it felt the most hands-on it felt the most directly applicable to the real world mm -hmm. um it felt like math and physics could be applied to real world problems that helped people you know yeah when you think about the kinds of problems mechanical engineers solve civil engineers solve um and and so that's why I settled on engineering specifically and so then I picked Texas A&M because it was a good engineering school <laughs> yeah. and I I figured you know what like once I get there I will figure out where within STEM or not STEM where within engineering I want to kind of specialize um and so once I got to Texas A&M um Texas A&M has entry to a major. Um, I know you're familiar with it, but um, I'll describe it anyway. So basically when you join Texas A&M as an engineering student, nobody declares a major. Um, you're expected to do one year of general engineering. And then um, during your spring semester of your freshman year, you apply to one of the majors within the course. And um, that actually really appealed to me. A lot of people have criticisms of that because if you go to college and you know what you want to do, it feels like a wasted year. 
But for me, I actually really was glad I had that because it didn't force me to make a decision before I was ready. Um, And so as I was kind of going through the first couple months of freshman year, I kind of, they, they did a lot of like kind of exposure type things in our freshman year classes where they showed us videos and gave us opportunities to interact with different people from different majors and I kind of settled on between two um the first one was computer science and the second one was aerospace engineering um and aerospace was because I still had that like dream of working at NASA someday of course I felt like aerospace was the kinds of problems they were solving were the same kinds of problems NASA was solving those were the most interesting kinds of problems and computer science, because as I was doing these classes, like, we, you know, we, they taught us MATLAB that first year. I really liked coding. <laughs> uh, and so what I ended up doing to, to try to make my decision was I joined two student organizations that freshman year. One was an aerospace organization and one was a uh, computer science And I thought, you know what, I'm going to try to meet some people in these majors, learn more about them, kind of kind of figure out what I want to do. And I met a an amazing person in Rohit that freshman year. He was the president of the Aggie Coding Club. And he fixed my computer like October or November of freshman year. I can't remember what month it was. He fixed my computer for me. And during that like sort of con like back and forth that we had over this broken computer he ended up offering me a position at his like startup that he wanted to start. <laughs> and I had no experience. <laughs> um, and that was kind of the beginning of my journey within the computer science like um, community at Texas A&M. And I fell in love with the people I was working with. I fell in love with the work itself. And by the end of that freshman year, I knew that I wanted to apply to computer science. So I guess to sum it up, like my story of getting to computer science was very much one of personal reflection of what I like to do based on trying to go out and get those experiences and evaluate for myself what was most fulfilling to me. And number two, building those relationships and finding that community of people who can support me. So I think I think the community part is I can't overstate how important it is to find people who are really like enthusiastic about like teaching you things that they know and giving you advice. So. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. I think community is what really kind of builds the spaces that we're in ultimately at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot there that, uh, that I want to explore, <laughs> uh, I guess, um, you know, kind of going back to, to what you first we're sort of talking about uh, this idea of kind of uh, entry to a major. You said that mm-hmm. going in, that really appealed to you. Uh, looking back on it, do you do you still feel the same way? Do you think that that's like a good uh, kind of, are you happy that you went that direction? Do you think that it's a good uh, option to have? Or would you, if you went back and redid it, would you choose a program that let you go directly into what you wanted to do, like might may have had in mind yeah um that's a good question i i don't know um i think that entry to a major looking back was a really good choice for me but i will say that i think entry to a major was a good choice for me specifically and it isn't a good choice for everyone so if you like really don't know what you want to do i think having that extra time to explore a few different options and not have to pick immediately and kind of is is a really good thing because I know if I had entered I think I probably would have entered aerospace engineering if I hadn't had that option and when I look at specifically Texas A&M I think computer science was a better choice for me yeah um do I think every single student at Texas A&M should have to do entry to a major? That's a different question. <laughs> sure. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah. I agree. I think it's things like that are not one size fits all. You know, yeah. for some people, it works really well. For me personally, it worked really well as well. Uh, but I do know, I know we both know 
several people who don't <laughs> necessarily uh, like that that's how the process goes. Yeah. And so I don't I don't know if this isn't intended. I know this isn't supposed to be a criticism of Texas A&M here in this <laughs> podcast, but um, I, 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 want, I, I do think sometimes, like, I wonder if there's room within the Texas A&M engineering like, model for both, you know? Sure. Like, are, are, are there really as many fundamental, like, strong fundamentals within that first year of engineering that everyone needs to take, um, that, that general engineering first year is that important? Or is there room for people to take, like, all of these engineering majors to take those same classes? And, um, but maybe some of them are general their first year and some declared, you know, I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, like, I, uh, the usual, I guess, process, like, the default process to declare your major from the get go. So I, I yeah. commend them for trying something different. Um, and yeah, I don't know if they'll ever hear this, but I hope they will consider maybe changing it to allow more flexibility in that sense as well. I think. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. to go back to your original question, like, would I have chosen a different school um, if that, if like entry, like general engineering model had not been available to me? I don't know. Um, I actually only got into three schools. No, I only got into two schools. I only applied to three schools. Um, what, what schools did you apply to? And what schools did you get into? I applied to Rice University, Georgia Tech, and Texas A&M. And I actually, another factor with Texas A&M was price as well. Mm -hmm. um, so Rice did not let me in. And I was waitlisted to Rice. And then um, Georgia Tech did not offer me any scholarships. Yeah. So... If there's okay, if there's another piece of advice I can give anybody listening, <laughs> it's okay to choose your school based on the money. Like when I was in high school, we had a college guidance counselor and they told us over and over again we needed to choose the school that had the best that was the best fit. Right? We needed to choose a school that had everything that we wanted and was and like we needed to do college visits, like campus visits and go to the school that felt the right the best to us they had no ever they never mentioned money but like if i went to georgia tech i would have had to take out a couple hundred thousand dollars in student loans because i would have been paying out-of-state tuition and they didn't offer me any scholarships at all and so maybe georgia tech is an equally or better um regarded engineering university but it's not worth the student loans you know right. so <laughs> yeah i agree i think that's that's great advice because you do hear that yeah. a lot when you're kind of pre-college considering college everyone says find what fits best to you but uh especially in today's kind of uh tuition landscape like with everything going on uh maybe finances should be at the top of the list in your consideration yeah. especially with yeah. how college debt is going and and everything um yeah that's that's great advice definitely i also like the the <laughs> the <laughs> for sure uh <laughs> i i like the sort of the thought process that you went through uh when you were sort of deciding on which direction of stem to go into because stem is pretty broad right it's like you said mm -hmm. science technology engineering mathematics and mm -hmm. uh, science and math have incredible value for society and, and we of course want people to go into into the hard sciences and the mathematics but it is worth considering the idea that if you go into the hard sciences you might never see the application of what you're researching uh for many reasons like i'm sh for many many instances of the hard sciences and math the applications might not be seen for hundreds of years uh there's a lot yeah. of examples of that um so if you yeah. go into the hard sciences maybe it's for the love of science rather than for the practicality of it which is where engineering sort of comes in mm -hmm. so i think that's that's an interesting way of thinking about it and i'm glad you kind of explored that as well yeah and i think one thing i well uh, never mind 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if, if you decide you want to talk about it, we can circle back. Um, I, I want to kind of explore uh, also kind of moving forward uh, the startup that you were working at because we kind of want to oh, also talk yeah. about where you <laughs> where you ended up professionally. So what <laughs> was, you don't have to say the name if you want to, uh, let us know what the startup was called, if it's still around and what you did there and what the experience was like. Yeah, I probably like shouldn't say the name of the startup um, sure. partially because I haven't like all of the people that were those founding members that I was I became really close with. None of those people work there anymore. They've all I don't think any of them worked there past graduation. Yeah. So um, I don't really have any relationships anymore with any of those people there or any of the people who are currently there. Um, really and fair. yeah. yeah. Um, but, um, and so I don't really know what's going on with them now, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so working at that startup was a really amazing opportunity. And I will say I was quite blessed financially. <laughs> um, my parents were paying for college for me, um, to a certain point that, like I said earlier, tax payment was a financial consideration. The amount of money that my parents had saved for me to go to college was enough to cover that. So. Um, I was not in a position where I needed to have a job that, um, like paid my bills and paid my tuition. So that was great. And I had the freedom to go seek out opportunities that were purely for fun or purely for professional development and didn't worry about money. So that was great with choosing to work at the startup. Like it didn't really matter if, if I was working or if I was being paid or not. Um, but um, so <clears throat> working there was awesome because I was working with people who um were like juniors and seniors in college, whereas I was a um, freshman and they were amazing at teaching me or at being really patient with me as I knew almost nothing and like teaching me how to work on a team and how to use version control and how to and teaching me some of the basics of specifically building websites. Um, and it was really amazing to have those people like pouring into me from such an early point in my college career. Yeah, that's awesome. It's, it's always good to kind of be in a position where people with a lot of experience, a lot more experience than you, uh, are open to helping you grow and you're in a position where there's a lot of opportunity for that growth. That's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So we had a little intermission there because my zoom is the unpaid version and <laughs> it won't let me go over a certain amount of time. So we had to switch over to the government sponsored zoom. Courtesy of government sponsored zoom. <laughs> courtesy of <laughs> Hannah Gooden and the applied physics laboratory. So um, it's actually a really cool policy they have. They encourage us to use Zoom for personal uses. So that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Uh, so we were talking about your experience at this at uh, your startup. Uh, mm -hmm. We can continue talking about that, or we can move on to kind of continuing exploring, maybe towards the end of your college career and then starting your professional career. Uh, but if there was anything else you wanted to add about your experience at the startup. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I would say that working at that startup gave me professional experience very early. That was a really big asset as I was starting applying for internships. And so I would encourage anybody who has the free time and like the monetary freedom to do so to work at a startup while you're in college. Because like, if you have nothing to lose, like, why not? Yeah, definitely. And I think I've never worked at a startup, but uh it's definitely like a unique sort of different type of uh, professional entity where everything's, uh, I don't know if you can speak to this, but like uh, from what I've heard about startups is that everything's sort of less structured in many ways. Yeah. There's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of flexibility, a lot of room for growth, but also a lot of room for, for failure, I imagine. Mm -hmm. but. And I think I, don't know, I enjoyed the work culture of the startup as well. You know, when it was every when it was like 
eight students, like we all kind of knew that we didn't know what we were doing. And that was part of the appeal was like um, trying to build something together and learn as we go. And that was pretty cool. So. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. So I know I want to be mindful of your time. Uh, so I guess the, the two main things that I sort of want to hit on uh, here at the end is, is more on the professional side. So when we sort of discuss exiting college um, and going into the professional world, what kind of experiences did you sort of have at towards just in college in general but also mainly towards the end of college that you think most helped you one maybe like figure out what you wanted to do professionally leaving college and then helped you get there sort of get those positions that you wanted to have is there anything yeah. particular kind of open-ended yeah sure I, and i'd love to answer both questions um, so the first one that you're asking is kind of how I figured out what I wanted to do within the sort of realm of what my major would qualify me to do. So right. when you think about software engineering, there's like a lot of different things that you can do. You know, you could be a, you can build websites, you can, um, manage systems, you can do data analysis, you can do data visualization, you can do um, all sorts of things, cybersecurity. Um, and I think as I spent those four years in college, I never kind of lost that desire to work at NASA. <laughs> of course. So I did end up doing a NASA internship, uh, really, really loved it. Um, and those things kind of like that experience kind of solidified that I wanted to work in space specifically. Yeah. And so I started applying to companies that did space stuff. And when I say space stuff, I really mean stuff, like literally anything related to space. So um, one reason I landed on APL is that we have like a thousand person space sector that does some amazing space missions. Um, so like when you think of 2015, do you remember totally went viral all over the world that we'd flown a spacecraft plus Pluto and taken the first like high resolution pictures of Pluto's surface. Oh, that's awesome. I, I don't remember that. Was that was APL. Yeah. That's awesome. That's cool. Um, my, my, I, so I joined the Parker Solar Probe task or um, in, in the rotational program, I joined the Parker Solar Probe um, ground software team for about six months. And my task lead there was actually grand. Like he went from the New Horizons team to the Parker Solar Probe team. So he told me some really cool stories about that. He actually got to meet the uh, lead guitarist of Queen, uh, Brian May. Because Brian May helps with the New Horizons. Like, oh, that's uh, right. He's like an he's an astrophysicist, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. That's cool. really cool. He's like a like my task lead has a picture of himself with Brian May, like framed on his desk. He's like one of the highlights of his life. I thought that was so funny. That's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so so that's one example of a mission that APL is doing. So like that was kind of my motivation for applying at APL because like I, I never really lost that desire to work on software that has like sort of space exploration applications. Um so yeah. Does that answer your first question? Sort of yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay, cool. As for like how I was successful at like kind of getting these jobs in these fields that are incredibly interesting and exciting. Um, what's sad is that I feel like my best advice, the one thing that really got me the best interviews and the best opportunities was career fairs. Like actually getting to go to these career fairs and talk to people and shake their hands and talk about my experiences face to face without having to go through the horrible online application process where your resumes just get eaten by those software programs that look for keywords you know like yeah. getting to being able to bypass that and get face to face with people and talk about who i was and what i was interested in was like the number one thing that got me into these these cool opportunities that i've gotten to have like right the nasa internship the apl job and um I don't know how to translate that to today's like hiring atmosphere. Like, right. I don't know 
I don't really know what it looks like anymore if you can't go in person and talk to people. Um, right. Yeah, because everything shifted to remote. <laughs> I actually didn't even yeah. really think about that. Um, I've I've done a couple of like remote sort of career fair things for APL, but I was never expected to be someone who was reviewing resumes. I was only expected to be like a question answerer. And so I would love to hear like some some thoughts about that. Like I I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know either. Uh definitely like it's something well, one, I, I do think that right now things are, are more remote, but in terms of like career fair and things like that, I think that might continue sort of that in-person aspect of career fairs because universities in general, I think a lot of them are going to continue to be in-person, although there will be a large mm -hmm. shift towards remote um, and we'll have to see how people adapt to that. But mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, I think that's kind of a very open question in general about how does because what you mentioned about like that FaceTime, that's about like kind of social socialization, right? It's that yeah. aspect of making like a very human connection mm -hmm. and getting, you know, that's kind of what gets you to to stand out beyond the automated software that kind yeah. of eats your resume is the fact that some a real person remembers you. And yeah. I think that's that's a general question about remote, not just in interviews, but even remote work, remote schooling, because we will, I think we will see a large shift towards remote schooling in terms of universities at least. And Absolutely. how do you how do you build those social connections that like one of the big values of university in general is the the networking, like the the people you meet, the friends you make, the I don't I don't mean just like networking in the sort of no, I got you. cold business sense of networking, but like the, <laughs> the, the the very literal real world social connection that you make with with people when you're at university and the different ideas yeah. that you get from just casual conversations like how do we simulate that in the in the virtual world uh, I think it's gonna be I think we're really at a turning point right now in just the way that we conduct business in the world in general like there is very much a like I, I very much see a posture of people moving towards wanting to work very virtually and very remotely and I, there are a lot of things that about yeah like you're right building those human connections and getting to know people like that are a lot different virtually and I think it's going to be really interesting to see what trends begin to take place because I don't think working is going to be the same and yeah. I it's very possible that like people are just going to start making these connections differently instead of trying to get back to the way things were, you know? Yeah, I agree. It's, it's like an entirely new like paradigm. It's sort of, yeah, there, there's, there's no, there's no going back at this point. It's just yeah. adapting, adapting to technology, which is sort of the, what we've always been doing in many ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's a lot of you see a lot of software and things like that trying to be adaptive uh and different avenues but yeah I, I i like what you're saying about like the face to face uh aspect of like career fair and things like that and I, I think that can generally be extrapolated we, i don't know exactly how it'll go about but if if you want to see interesting opportunities come your way the best way is to meet people that are doing those things that you want to do and talk to them and learn from them and 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 connect with them on a like yeah. genuine human level and things like that um yeah and hopefully absolutely. we can find a way to continue that yeah like, definitely don't just don't just like learn from your mentors be friends with them and go out for that beer and get to know who they are and that connection is going to make it's going to last for such a long time like, yeah <laughs> for sure and make friends a lot of my really good friends from college are still very good friends today uh case in point um <laughs> hello friend <laughs> hello friend the so we talk about kind of this like genuine human connection what do you have like any other advice for how to go about that in college sort of let's pretend we're in person uh and not <laughs> so much try to predict the future but at least based on experience 
do you have like any what are your thoughts on on making friends in college and and making also business connections in college, you know professional connections in college reaching out to people that are working at these companies uh career fair and outside of career fair and things like that yeah so when it comes to friends the first thing i would say is that once your friends graduate they become your business connections and to not like to and so making friends is not just like something that will sustain you and and fill you up with you know joy and happiness and have a so having a social life you know once those friends graduate they're all going to go out to these different companies all across the world and like those are going to be your referrals if you ever like feel like you need to move a job you know definitely <laughs> so don't discount those like those close friendships that like you make when it comes to like they're not just your friends they're your they are your network um when it comes to advice on making friends um I don't know. My experiences have been that the closest and best friends I've made actually were within my major. Like they were the people that I studied with, the people I did homework with, the people I did group projects with. Um, and I think, so I think I, when it comes to me, I tend to connect most with people who like talking about the same things that I do. And I genuinely love computer science. And so um, enjoying like those sorts of like, creating those study groups and um, doing those group projects with friends was very beneficial to me um, because I had the opportunity to one, make friends, but also to learn from those friends all the time. Um, and I think I still see that in those group chats that we have. Um, every other day, we still have friends that are railing against some other technology or, or whatever. <laughs> and every time I'm, I shake my head and I'm like, Ah, my friends are so opinionated, but I also learn from them, you know, yes. <laughs> and that's a really great, great thing. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess I would, I would genuinely say if you make friends within your major because you love your major, like those are going to be your friends for life and they're going to teach you a lot because like, even if you are, you have like a few friends who know a little bit together, you guys know a lot and you can teach each other a lot. So. Yeah, definitely. So like, uh, find people that share your common interest talk to them about that common interest and yeah. learn from them and see if you can teach them anything and if you want to pivot into organizations here then organizations are also a great place to find friends too who have common interests yeah we um, can pivot into organizations yeah. for sure or and so you don't have to join like a professional organization you can just make friends who like talking about monkeys or something join a monkey club or something i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's a lot of at, at any given university. There's definitely professional organizations and just kind of <laughs> random. I joined a caving club for a little bit. You did join a caving yeah. club. Yeah. What was that club called? It was it was called the Aggie Speleological Society, which mm. uh, went by the acronym ASS. A S S. Incredible, <laughs> incredible. The good. I hope good you guys had amazing teenage or t-shirts. Yeah, we did. We did. There was a lot, a good sense of humor there at that club for sure. Um, I do also want to be respectful of your time. So I'm happy to talk about organizations. Uh, if we want to sort of explore that a little bit, we can also like do like a follow up uh, episode later on down the line. Uh, but yeah. I know, I know you have to go. So I want to Let's talk about organizations because I could okay. probably talk for another hour about my job. I love my job. Okay, let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about organizations. So I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat a little bit. I'm gonna. Uh, so you mentioned the Aggie Coding Club a while back. Oh, you you did mention the esteemed Aggie Coding Aggie Club. Coding Club. What was excellent <laughs> club? <laughs> what was what was your involvement like in that club, and then? uh i want to like explore sort of that <clears throat> that aspect of your that, college that is a great like that. that is a great question so um i was involved with the aggie coding club for all four years of my college time um freshman year i was a member uh sophomore year i was upgraded to don't remember so essentially what i figured out later 
was that so <clears throat> junior year Rohit chose me as the president of the club so I spent two years as president of Aggie Coding Club and what I figured out later was sophomore year Rohit invented a random officer position for me to have so that he could start training me <laughs> he picked me that for next president that quickly president in training maybe I should not like reveal his secrets but I feel like enough time has passed now that it's not <laughs> I can I can cut it out I can I can bleep out this <laughs> in in post-production you I should just... interview rohit alejandro no, I'd, I'd love to if you could ask me... him about his the, the mentoring that he did in college and how that definitely make up some question that makes sense <laughs> yeah no i'd love to uh we let's yeah. let's talk after this about i don't i don't really i don't know rohit personally yeah. i've never talked to him so like i'd love to get in contact with him and maybe yeah sure, sure. for sure okay. um um, so you you became president yes right i became president of the club and i was president for two years yeah which i always found very uh very interesting the process of acc because a lot a lot of other clubs generally speaking not all of them but a lot of them are uh democratic in nature uh aggie cutting club is not which it is, is not, not democratic. i'm not criticizing it i thought it was yeah. very interesting i thought i think it's actually probably a really good system very mm -hmm. i don't know if you've ever heard of the what they called the like the five good roman emperors interesting um, i didn't know there were only five <laughs> no no no, no. no th th there was several but there was this the series of five successive roman emperors and oh, i see the the succession <laughs> was chosen i don't remember who the five were but the last one was marcus aurelius of uh okay Stoicism fame uh but the way they was chose he, their... was he in the gladiator he was in the gladiator yeah oh, okay okay yeah, yeah. got um, it but they they sort of the way the succession happened was they did not uh, it wasn't a sort of inheritance by blood it was mm -hmm. they literally chose their next successor and trained them to be their next successor and it was never a, a a relative it was somebody i don't know if it was not a relative but it wasn't a direct descendant um interesting marcus Aurelius was the final one because he chose his son and then his son messed everything up but yeah I don't uh, know how accurate Gladiator is. <laughs> I, don't know. I recall this movie vividly, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, not a great, not a great look for that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> uh, but sorry, that was a bit of a tangent. Continue. So you you became president of Maggie Coding Club. Um, what was it like being president? And you you see a lot of uh, you hear a lot of emphasis about taking on leadership positions uh, in school in general. Uh, but a lot of emphasis in, in students as they maybe seek out other positions in the real world. Um, mm -hmm. People like to see leadership. What is like, why take on leadership positions? What's the benefit of that? Like, why, why should someone do it other than because it looks good on a resume, right? Why yeah. does it look good on a resume? Yeah. Maybe that's one reason why Aggie Coding Club is not democratic because I, you should not take a leadership position so that it looks, or because it looks good on a resume, especially for a club as big as Aggie Coding Club, like at the end of the, the end of my time in the club, we were averaging like 50 people per meeting or something, which is like a lot for a, huge for a professional organization. Definitely. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but anyway, so like, what was it like being president? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, a lot, very stressful at times, but I think very rewarding. Um, there's, I, I kind of saw it as something that I did because it was important and not necessarily because like, it was fun all the time or I don't know like there are a lot of like kind of silly shallow reasons that you do something but for Aggie Coding Club and me like I don't know I saw it as a way to kind of give back to the computer science community at Texas A&M and to kind of give people what I got when I was a freshman right like I found this amazing community of people who wanted to teach me things and wanted to pour into me. And <clears throat> I wanted to continue creating a space where people could come and just learn things. And there was no pressure, there was no grades, there was just desire to learn and desire to um, maybe even take on leadership roles within some of the projects that we fostered and to give people opportunities to learn more. And also at the same time, I wanted to build it into something that had a really good reputation because like one thing that was really a source of pride for me was like, um, I would talk to these like recruiters whenever I was interviewing for internships and stuff. 
and they say, oh, you're the president of this club. Like we've gotten so many resumes with people's like saying they were part of this club or they were involved in the project of this club. Like, wow, you're the president. Like, that's so cool. You know, like it's really great yeah. that you're building. And I, there, that was really a source of pride for me as well. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I mean, like I, I was also a member of the Aggie Cutting Club and I thought it was run very well under your oh, thank you. presidency. Um, what was your second question? I'm sorry, I don't remember. Uh, no, I think the those, well, but my second was question was why take on leadership positions in general uh, outside of okay. like the fact that it's just a resume builder, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess I could give one more. I kind of sort of answered that because it's you important. And because, yeah. But there is one other kind of facet of this that really taught me a lot about myself. And that was that like whenever I was going through some of those harder part times you know there were a lot of hard conversations that kind of had to happen sometimes and I gave up a lot of time sometimes to make things really and <clears throat> there were a couple of moments where I took someone's advice and regretted it and there were a couple of moments where I took someone's advice and I didn't regret it and there were a couple of moments where I didn't listen to myself and I regretted it and being in that leadership position kind of it, it taught me a lot about my instincts as a leader and how like and the the fact that I needed to be trusting myself if that makes sense yeah. and I don't want to give specifics unfortunately because no, like totally I don't want to talk about those like those times when I shouldn't have taken some advice and I did no definitely um but learning about myself that I have really good instincts and that I need to follow them was I think very valuable and getting to learn getting to grow that confidence in myself in a college setting was really valuable because if you screw up in college like you're 20 years old it doesn't matter if you screw up at your job it's a little there's a little more kind of at stake yeah and so having that space to grow as a leader and to get to know myself and what my leadership style is and how um <clears throat> when i need to be listening to other people and when i need to fo be following my gut that was really valuable to me as well so yeah no i think that that's excellent advice that's ex an excellent reason to take on leadership positions thank you very <laughs> yeah it, it's i think it's always important to look for those opportunities to really kind of like figure discover yourself figure out kind of how you operate in the real world and gain confidence yeah. in your own ability to do so yeah and I think one thing I've also learned about myself is to like not say no to things because I don't think I'm qualified for them like I remember when like Rohit was like Hannah you're gonna be the next president I was like <laughs> that's a lot of pressure uh, but I absolutely grew into that role and so like recognizing that you have some growing to do and that if someone else really does believe in you maybe you should look at yourself and reevaluate what you're seeing in yourself like that was that was really good for me as well yeah that's awesome um so i i have three more questions <laughs> for you okay and then we can wrap up so okay the first one is i, I kind of want to build off of what you just said about not discounting yourself because you don't feel like you're qualified for it so i want to touch on that after this question but the first question is what's the most interesting thing that you've worked at or worked on at your current job uh since you started um and <clears throat> sort of leading off of that and leading off of what we just talked about have you experienced any imposter imposters syndrome uh, which is sort of that idea that you feel unqualified for what you're doing, despite having been admitted to this position. Uh, yes. Do you feel any imposter syndrome at your at your job, or have you felt any, and how have you maybe handled that, or like, is there any advice you have for handling that? Yeah. Um, so the so your first question is, what is the most interesting thing I've worked on? Yeah. My job, and. 
the first thing I'll say is that I work at a government contractor and so I have a government clearance and I can't talk about everything. Of course. Unfortunately. Um, but there is one really cool, um, I believe it's open source. Let me just double check. Of course. Yeah, we don't want you to uh, do anything that'll get you in trouble, especially not with the oh, government. Oh, of course. Um, let's double check there. It's open source. Yes, public. Okay, we're good. So um, I got to work on an application uh, that is related to kind of genomic sequencing. Um, um, it was funded by um, a well, it doesn't matter who it was funded by. <laughs> um, and so this is a full stack web application that essentially allows you to input genomic data, um, specifically, specifically you'll be looking at samples of um, generally pathogens. So the, the app was designed for flu, but it can be used for COVID as well. Or pathogens at, in general, so you said. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, it's, so it's it, off. Oh, sorry. So um, pathogens in general is what it was designed for, um, but we started with flu as our prototype, and um, basically the goal of this application is to allow you to input this this sequence data of like a sample of flu from someone's like mouth or nose or whatever, and it will analyze the um, Kind of prolificness okay. of um, different strains of the flu within a person's. Um, oh my gosh, it's been like a year since I saw your talk. No worries. Yeah. So, like, the, <laughs> it'll tell you like how how much of each strain the person has. Yeah. So the idea them. is like, um, I can't. I literally cannot remember the word for this. Unfortunately. Minor variant analysis, that's what it's called. This does minor variant analysis on analysis on pathogen samples from people, basically. Um, so essentially what you can look at um, across all of the possible little little bits of flu and or COVID or whatever that the person is infected with, you can look at all of the different possible strains that might have um, evolved within the person as they are being sick, basically, because you can imagine that when you're maybe you're infected with one strain of flu, but then as you get sick and the flu stays inside of you, it's going to mutate, it's going to change, and they want to. And so basically, you can look at this the the um, the prolificness of different different variants across like all of these different little organisms of flu within a um, like a sample, basically. That's super cool. And it is open source. You can look at the source code on uh, the JHU APL bio, like GitHub group. Yeah. If you if you send me the link. Agave. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you send me the link, I can put it in the uh, in the show notes. Oh, the show notes. The show notes yeah. at the bottom. Um, yeah. No, that sounds super interesting. And. Um. So I, so I worked on this about a year ago now. Um. And since then, I've written an internal journal article about it that will soon be released externally, hopefully next month. And I have um, also, it also, since I, so I'm in a rotational program, I've since left the group that I worked on this with, so I haven't touched source code in like eight months. But um, since I left the, so I worked on this with one other person, and that person has integrated it into another piece of open source software called BaseStack. Um, which is even cooler. <laughs> um, if you look at the JHU APL bio GitHub group, um, BaseStack is a, basically a desktop application that runs all sorts of sequencing pipelines, like any sequencing pipeline you can imagine on a sample. And it's designed to work with like a mini sequencer that you can plug into your computer. Um, and it'll just like, you basically you plug it in, you pick the pipeline you want to run and it just goes for it and it creates an automated report for you. So Agave wow. is one of those pipelines basically now. Um, and the web application that we wrote, like the front end is like the visualization that pops up when you're done instead of like a PDF. Wow, that's so, yeah. super cool. Super interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I, I'd love to, I'd love to do a follow-up episode to talk about um, <laughs> yes. going back into college. Cause I know you did, you did research and like similar things. And so like, I, I'd, I'd love to talk about what that research was and how that maybe like connected to what you did during that time and, and all that. But I, I know we don't have time to explore like every aspect of it. Um, yes, but yeah, that's, absolutely. that's super cool. Uh, <laughs> so kind of leaving off of that, um, to, second my second question was, uh, what has your experience been like with imposter syndrome? If you've had yes. any, uh, you might not have had any. I hope you haven't because you're incredibly qualified. Uh, oh, but thank if you. you <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> uh, but if you have, what has that been like? And what kind of advice would you have for somebody entering the professional world that maybe is experiencing imposter syndrome and how to navigate those feelings? Yeah. So I experienced imposter syndrome today because I have been asked to take part in my first set of interviews uh, this week. And I do not feel ready to start interviewing people. Like that's wacky. And like the candidate that I'm supposed to be interviewing has I think like three or four years of experience on me. So it's like, it's like kind of, it's very intimidating. And yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> um, and I would say there are two things that you like that I would recommend people to do when it comes to feeling like you don't you aren't qualified for something the first one is to in like examine why you don't feel qualified and remind yourself that if someone who is more senior than you thinks you're qualified to do something then like why are you not listening to that person's opinion right like why are you listening to your own evaluation of yourself when from an, when an outsider's opinion, clearly they've seen your work and they see, they like working with you and they see the value in what you have. And if they think that you're qualified to do something and they ask you to do that, like, instead of saying no, then like, what would be better is to say yes, recognize that you're stepping into a new area and take it as a learning opportunity. And if you don't, Maybe you are going to make some mistakes, but treat that as a learning experience. At the end of the experience, go back to that person who asked you to do that thing, ask for feedback, ask them maybe what you could improve on. Maybe it will all be great feedback and you'll be like, oh, maybe I was qualified to do that thing. But like, don't just say no because you don't think you're qualified. Instead, ask yourself, why did this person ask me to do this? Why did this person accept me for this position? Um, and examine the fact that they think you're qualified for it and then ask yourself that question again, you know? Yeah, definitely. I that would be the agree. first. Yeah, that would be the first piece of advice. The second piece of advice is if you consistently feel like you aren't qualified for a position, sign yourself up for some mentoring opportunities. Like, try to go interact with some interns. Try to go interact with some people who are a little bit have a little bit less experience than you. Oh, mentoring opportunities is in like you as a mentor, not being a yeah, mentor. yeah, or either either one. Either no, one. no, definitely. No, I, I just didn't expect yeah. that. I think actually that's fantastic advice. Continue. I didn't mean yeah. to interrupt you. I'm sorry. Because when you start like teaching, like you, you, there's always going to be someone who has a little bit less experience than you and they're still here too. They're still learning and you're someone that they can probably learn from if you do have more experience than them. And I think having like going and, and mentoring other people will give you a little bit of that confidence back. So yeah. those are my two thoughts. Definitely. No, that I think those are both great pieces of advice. Um, the second one was kind of a little unexpected, but in a very kind of positive way, like a, uh, kind of thinking back on, on that. Yeah. That's, that's definitely like a really good way to put yourself in like the opposite position and realize how much you actually do know. And because I think it's really easy to kind of discount or take for granted everything that you've learned up to a certain point. Um, maybe yeah. we're like really hard on ourselves in general, you know, and then you start teaching someone and you you realize how much you know and i think at least in my experience you kind of look yeah. back to when you were in that position <laughs> and you realize yeah, how absolutely. much you, how far you've come yeah yeah absolutely that's awesome yeah uh yeah. so no go ahead i didn't mean to interrupt no i'm just agreeing with you like I, I just think i've had the opportunity to work with a few interns the past couple of months and like they have reminded me how awesome it is to be a college student, but also how far I've come. And I don't know, it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. 
So I know that we're running a little short on time. So uh, I want to thank you so much for your time and for yeah this has been really fun having this conversation and for all your advice and your stories and experience um i want to kind of finish up with just kind of a unrelated question i know you are an avid reader oh i am an avid yeah what book uh or or general piece of literature uh would you recommend to our listeners it doesn't have to be what i recommend it doesn't have to be any type of genre, anything, just whatever, whatever you want. It could be fiction, nonfiction. It could be a I'm play, a to, poem, a short story, whatever. I'm going to stereotype myself here because the best book I've read in the past month was a space book. <laughs> <laughs> Project awesome. Hail Mary by Andy Weir. I just finished it. Um, awesome. And it was dare I say better than the Martian like really Andy Weir also wrote the Martian and I love the Martian like when you go if 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 you ever ask me to fill out a questionnaire and say what is your favorite book Anna I will write the Martian on that line and or I would have until, until like two weeks ago wow. and I finished Project Hail Mary and I was like this book may be better than the Martian <laughs> wow Okay. Uh, so if you have not read Project Hail Mary, I recommend Project Hail Mary. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> go read Project Hail Mary and go read The Martian then. I've read The Martian, so I'll have to put Project Hail Mary on my to yeah. to read list coming up. Yes. You must. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Hannah. Yeah. Thank you Alejandro. Thanks for listening to this conversation with Hannah Gooden on Off to Great Places. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support this podcast, Please subscribe on your preferred podcast player and share this episode with friends and family on social media.